Good afternoon, everyone. This is your host, John, of the Research Review, creating a platform to connect and inspire. I'm here with another excellent researcher today. Lily, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research? Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Lily Chevalier. I am currently a senior here at Kent State University. I double major in sociology and anthropology. And this summer, I was a part of the Shore Research Program. Now, why'd you pick that combination specifically? Um, so I started in anthropology. I found my belonging in cultural anthropology specifically. Mm-hmm. And through that, I found the world of sociology because they're very interconnected. They work very well together. There's a lot of really good overlap there. I'm really into interdisciplinary research, so combining those two worked really well. And so that's kind of how I put the two together. Interdisciplinary research is really great because when you get two fields connected and you get two mindsets together, it can really create some unique and amazing stuff. Definitely. Mm -hmm. How do you think having the perspective of two different fields has helped you during your research and your undergrad experience? One thing that stuck out to me in the beginning once I first got interested in sociology was the extra help that I was able to get from working in two different departments. Mm -hmm. I was not only working then in my anthropology department and working with those professors and making those connections, then I also was making connections in the sociology department. That just enhances the amount of perspectives you're going to get. It enhances your own thinking, the own your own possible ideas that you might come up with for future things that you may want to pursue. Mm-hmm. So it really just like broadened my horizons in terms of what I might want to pursue later in academia and grad school and things in relation to that. It's one thing listening to a class or a lecture on your subject. It's another thing stepping that up and then working with a professor in your department really changes your perspectives. But when you work with two professors in two different apartments, I mean, your mindset changes completely having a one-on-one conversation with these types of people yes definitely and i also saw my own contribution firsthand when i started working with dr levito on this research because she had never really worked with a student in anthropology before Mm -hmm. i got linked to her through the sociology department and when we started working together i just started bouncing some ideas off of her in terms of her own research for with some perspectives that i gained through my anthropology background so far and I think some of those ideas were really, they were new perspectives that she hadn't considered before, such as doing group interviews rather than just one-on-one interviews, which is a pretty big aspect in anthropology. So I felt like I also kind of had my own contribution, so that made me a little bit more confident. And like I said, combining those two just broadened my perspectives and broadened my ideas. Were you always this engaged in research, or what kind of sparked your interest, do you think? Once I stepped into into the world of sociology, I think that's when my research interest really took off, mm-hmm. specifically because of the sociology department here at Kent State. They do a lot of research. So being in that environment all of a sudden got me interested in this and started to create pathways in my mind that weren't there before. And I think that's kind of how it got started. And I found the Shore program through a sociology professor, and then she linked me up with Dr. Levito. Through that, I got into the social department, got connected with this professor, mentioned this program, got to meet up with Dr. Levito, and then I was thrown into the research world in a very good way. Yeah. Now, when you were thrown into the research world, what was the first project that you started working on? So the research project that I helped Dr. Levito with 
was to focus on the experience specifically of caregiving students in academia. So caregiving students are students who are defined to be an individual who not only maintains their own responsibility of being a student in higher education, Mm -hmm. but also has one or more other individuals depending on them to provide care to them. We want to stay away from terms like parenting student or mothering student because this puts a limit to other possibilities. So this caregiving student may not only be taking care of their child, but this caregiving student maybe is taking care of an elderly relative or a dependent sibling. So that's kind of where our terminology comes from here. Mm -hmm. So the research overall is based upon a qualitative framework, meaning that all the data collected is obtained predominantly through interviews and content analysis, which is kind of what I did myself. Now, you said you did content analysis yourself. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So one of my main responsibilities was to research the existing literature on these experiences of of caregiving students and Mm -hmm. how universities respond to them or have not responded to them, as well as conducting this content analysis on the services provided and this environment created for caregiving students at these different academic institutions. So I did this through looking at the institution's website. Mm -hmm. An institution's online presence in today's world is crucial, as we have obviously seen. Definitely. Through our shared experiences of the (laughs) COVID-19 lockdown. So a website, in many ways, for most people, is the first introduction they have to a university. Mm -hmm. We wanted to look at the forefront of what these universities were proposing in terms of resources that they offer to, to their students. In this, I was looking specifically at peer institutions. So a peer institution is just an institution that is similar to Kent State in terms of their numbers and achievements and programs. Okay. By considering other universities similar to Kent State, we could then compare to what's offered here for these caregiving students. Now, based on your content analysis, what are some practical solutions that you have in mind to assist caregiving students and other students facing basic needs and securities. While I was doing this content analysis of these institutions' websites, Mm -hmm. I basically considered four different dimensions. So I was looking for visibility or representation of caregiving students. I was looking for how the university addressed these caregiving students, which can include the terminology they're using, the labeling they're using. I was looking for the amount of resources being provided specifically for these caregiving students. Mm -hmm. And I was also considering how accessible those resources were, if there were any at all. Accessibility, meaning how easy it is to navigate the website, how easy it is to find those resources actually listed on the website. I looked at the concrete availability of these resources and like their food pantries, are they displaying them in the middle of campus or mm-hmm. are they just are they shoving them in the back of the building somewhere? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cuz accessibility in its most basic form comes down to if people can actually even find the resource. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times you don't even know things existed. Exactly. I, there's a lot of stuff that our school I didn't know how to offer great things that I could use. I didn't know existed until I navigated the website for my own research. Exactly. And that was, I know that was a a reoccurring theme in some of this interview data that Dr. Levito was collecting is that if there were resources, 
these students didn't find out about them until a few years in. Yeah. So, and that just goes to show the importance of these universities' representations online specifically, mm -hmm. because that's a resource that a lot of people use nowadays to gain information. Right. And a lot of times, students don't even make it a few years in. They start experiencing needs and insecurities right then and there when they get to college. Right. So... Um, some of the biggest takeaways that I got from this mm -hmm. content analysis and kind of considering those four different dimensions is a pretty big overview of, of the problems at hand. Yeah. The first one was that there's basically zero to no consistent representation of caregiving students in many of these institutions. And by representation, I mean that can even boil down to the most basic thing of including photos. Of families on your university's website yeah or listing family-friendly activities in your activity sheet like basic easy to do things another thing about these websites was if resources did exist at this university like we talked about a significant dive into that website is required to find them yeah. so a lot of these universities will partner with a third party for child care services right and in order to learn about those child care services, that student would have to first navigate to that link in the university's website. Mm -hmm. Then they would that link would probably take them to another website that worked specifically for that child care service. And then on a lot of those child care services, you would need to contact them directly to learn about their affiliation with the university. Right. And that in itself is four steps that a single mom doesn't have when she needs to be doing her homework and cooking dinner at the same time. Yeah, I understand why they partner with third-party resources because it's already it's already built, but I mean, it puts stress on not only the individual, but it also puts stress on that third-party resource because one of the things that I found is, yeah, a college or a university is a city on its own. And if you use that, the actual city's resource for college students, it puts a lot of stress on these third-party organizations because they can't handle both the people living in the community and the people within the university that's being sent over. Right, exactly. So, And then an another thing that I found while navigating these websites was the inconsistency in what universities actually consider a caregiving student. Yeah. So in order to be able to find resources that would help you as a caregiving student, you need to then learn how the university is addressing you. Do they consider you a non-traditional student? Do they consider you a parenting student? Do they consider you one of those things? Not only are you navigating these websites, but you also need to find out how the university defines you in your specific situation. And this is one thing that's a pretty significant issue, I feel, that I, I quickly picked up on doing this content analysis website mm -hmm. work is because many universities today still seem to use the term non-traditional, right, in the categorization of caregiving students. But this is kind of difficult because when we go to define non-traditional students, there's kind of been a shift in that term over the years. So in, in older literature, the defining factors of what it means to be a non-traditional student mostly depend on age, if they left school and came back, things like that. However, defining factors more recently have been continually expanding, and the list of what it could entail soon becomes more extensive, which is okay in an attempt to be inclusive, but that can also kind of be a bad thing because it eventually becomes a little bit too broad. Right. 
and can ignore the individual identities that need to be addressed in that broad term. Mm -hmm. So just like an example of this is the National Center for Education Statistics at one point in time released saying uh, released a report saying that the non-traditional student status could be given to a student on the basis of about seven different characteristics. Huh. All of which could be broken down even further depending on their situation. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So by attempting to group such a large variety of people into a category mm -hmm. that could consist of so many different reasons, yeah. you can lose sight of the importance of recognizing individual identities and individual needs. So an individual who works full time, well enrolled, but a single with no children could be considered a non traditional student because they're having to work full-time at the same time of being a full-time student, mm -hmm. they're going to need different resources allocated to them than a single mom who is in a graduate program. Right. That's right. So, it's, it's so important to focus on qualitative analysis into a problem like this because you still want to focus on their identities and you don't want to categorize people right, like that. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, so you, we not only then through this content analysis, realized that we had the problem of non-traditional being so broad, but it was also mm -hmm. used inconsistently. So basically every university had their own definition of what they thought it was. And so if you're a caregiving student and you're looking through this, like you're comparing your schools, and in one institution, you might be considered a non-traditional student. In yeah. the other, you might not be even be considered at all. So this inconsistency is where I think some of this miscommunication and misinformation about resources or lack thereof is happening. Mm -hmm. um, That's really interesting to me because, like I said, I focused on basic needs and securities, but I really never dove into a lot of the stuff that you're talking about right now. Right, but yeah. It's definitely very important to consider Yeah. for I, someone like myself. Exactly. Now, what's the end goal of this project? I'm very excited to see you know, what's going to come out of this. The end goal of this project is essentially to bring light to this specific student population that in many ways has been overlooked and to expose the struggles and lack of support that they have had to navigate, mm -hmm. specifically in the world of higher education. So we really want to emphasize the importance of helping these caregiving students feel welcome and supported mm -hmm. in their institutions. We want to make sure that they are fully aware of the resources that are being offered to them and those resources need to start being offered. So right. what these caregiving students need is program and course requirement flexibility. They need flexibility in their scheduling. They're not only considering their own schedule, they're considering the schedule of the person that they're taking care of. Mm -hmm. um, they need access to affordable, safe, and available housing that's family friendly, that's specifically designed for pregnanting and parenting students. Definitely. A huge one. That is a very important thing that needs to be highlighted is the need for a high quality, safe, and specifically affordable childcare at these institutions. Yes. Another thing that's needed is financial support specifically aimed towards helping these caregiving students. That you need to consider, the universities need to consider childcare fees and mm -hmm. student fees. Something that I noticed during my research is that when a student is experiencing homelessness, they can be housed in the dorms. But when a, m a mother or someone who is 
taking care of a child is experiencing homelessness, does not have a place. Homelessness is not defined as on the streets. Typically, it's living in a car or any other place not fit for human habitation or on the couch of a friend or a family member. But if someone with a child comes to the university and saying, I have no place to stay, I need assistance, they cannot place them in the dorm because they have a child. And it still applies to dormitory rules. Right. And then they end up sending them to the third party resource. Right. Which is usually booked anyway. And there's a list. And so like, where do they go in the meantime, you know? Yep, exactly. That Mm -hmm. was one thing that came up a lot in this content analysis and in the literature is that if these childcare services or affordable housing possibilities were actually provided by the university, there was was normally just a very long list for these resources if they did exist. But yeah, basically... The biggest takeaway from this research is to enhance visibility for the student population, to develop quality accessible resources for them, Mm -hmm. to give them a sense of belonging at their institution is one of the most crucial things. So, yeah. That's definitely something that we need to to really emphasize. Yeah. And I think it's going to make, what you're doing right now is making a huge difference. What we're doing right now is making a huge difference, you know? Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. So what are your plans for the future? And what do you want to do after pursuing your undergraduate degree? So I am currently planning on attending graduate school, hopefully this upcoming fall, specifically in a sociology program. Mm -hmm. My interests lie in gender and women's studies and queer data, which is something that Dr. Levito really brought out in me in terms of my interests. And then what would you like to pursue after you get your PhD in terms of research? Like I said, seeing Dr. Levito's work being done specifically in relation to caregiving students really heightened my interests in specific identities. Mm -hmm. So any research in relation to gender identities, queer identities, women's studies would definitely be up my avenue. Now, how has doing research expanded your perspective and really helped you as a, as a person? So I would say that doing this research and getting to work alongside Dr. Levito specifically mm-hmm. really exposed me to the ins and outs of sociological research specifically within the qualitative realm um, and how much time and work truly goes into it. Yeah. So Dr. Vito essentially is working with data that has been collected now for over the past two plus years. And that's a lot of time and a lot of data to go through. Yeah. So it's been very eye-opening and also just heightened my understanding in the importance of qualitative research and what that can tell us about certain populations and how it can help us address the issues that those certain populations need. Oh yeah, it's my favorite. And it's really important to do qualitative research before diving into collecting the data because you're not going to know what type of questions to ask. You're not going to know what you're looking for unless you actually talk to the population that you're examining. And if you jump right into the quantitative stuff, you really are going off of these preconceived notions. Yeah. And it, I mean, it can also go the other way around, right? So True, yeah. So qualitative research kind of creates the space to put a face to the statistics. Mm-hmm. So, okay, for an example, the quantitative research, the statistics can tell us that in the U.S., more than a quarter of undergraduate students are caregiving students. But what qualitative research does it takes that 25% yeah. and gives it a voice. So 
Another example, the quantitative research suggests that 60% of parenting students will eventually leave higher education mm -hmm. compared to just 37% of their non-parenting counterparts. So qualitative research builds the story past these percentages and can provide an answer as to why that 60% exists. So yeah, sure, you can just look and see, wow, 60% is a lot. Yeah. But what our qualitative research is doing, what Dr. Levito is doing by interviewing these caregiving students, is she's finding why the 60% exists and then how we can address it to make it a much smaller percentage. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Now, you obviously love what you do and you have a passion for it. Why would you recommend doing research to other people? So I, I definitely would recommend doing research to any Kent State student or any undergraduate student in general because... Especially with that R1 status. Yes. If you don't know what R1 is, it's like D1 research. <laughs> and it's a very big achievement that yes. we just achieved. But yeah, I would definitely recommend dipping your toes into the realm of research because... <laughs> It's not only going to expose you to these research processes, right? But it'll give you a significant advantage in, in research if you are considering a career in it or in higher academia. It's also going to help you develop some very important and beneficial relationships with your professors and others in the department that you will work with along the way. And another part of this to consider is that while you will be working alongside these great faculty members and um, researchers, you being in that space itself creates the time for you to develop your own ideas too and to ask your own questions, mm -hmm. which you might one day want to pursue yourself. So you're not only being exposed to these great resources and this, these great ideas, but it's also giving you time to sit back and think, well, maybe what about this? Or what if I want to do this with this? Yeah. And just like it creates a world of possibilities, so I would highly recommend anybody do it. It does. I mean, it's opened my it's opened my eyes and opened my mind to what I'm studying. Yeah, I've learned so much more sitting down and having conversations with professors for thirty minutes than I have in a whole semester of lectures. Yeah. You know, I exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, Lily, if you had one more message to share with the world, what would that be? If I had one message to share with the world, I would say to listen to one another, mm -hmm. learn from one another, care from one another, respect one another, and then grow together. I think the best possible thing we can do in life is listen, learn, and grow. <laughs> we'll say that. Yeah. Listen, learn, and grow. I <laughs> totally agree with you because having this podcast has really brought me through that experience. Listening to other people, and I learned so much from that. This is the 11th ep episode on the Research Review, and I feel like I have grown so much since starting this platform. And yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to hear different perspectives. And Lily, it's been awesome hearing your perspective, your ideas. It's been great having you on. You're welcome back anytime. And I look Thanks. forward to working with you and hearing you from the f in the future. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Again, this is your host, John, of The Research Review, creating a platform to inspire. Peace out. <laughs>